Welcome to session six of Christ-Centered Evangelism. Uh, we're going to be on page 17 of the workbook, picking up where we left off two weeks ago, and we will once again be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 in our Bibles. So once you're there, just say amen. I'll take that as a collective amen. <laughs> uh, so we're going to begin by reading uh, 2 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and manifests through us the aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's seek the Lord's face once more. Our gracious Father in heaven, the blessed Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we come to You, O Lord, the eternal God unchanging, the One who has ruled from everlasting and will reign until everlasting. The great I Am. The One who caused the sea to split that Your people might walk through and come to Your mountain and worship You. The God who establishes His covenant with His people and does not go back on His Word. The One who rules with all justice and the splendor of majesty and cannot wink at sin. And yet, in Your mercy, You sent Your Son to pay the full penalty, to pay the full price for our sins. Lord, we come to You this evening applying for mercy and grace. Lord, at Your throne of grace. We ask, Lord, that You would speak to each one of us, Lord, by Your Spirit through Your Scriptures. That this would not just be a transfer of information tonight, but Lord, You would grant us Holy Spirit illumination. I ask, Lord, that You would show us wondrous things from Your Word. Lord, that You would uphold me by Your Spirit. Lord, I know I'm weak this evening. I'm frail. I'm an earthen vessel. And it's worthless if I stand up here, Lord, and You don't shine forth the, the glory of Your Gospel through me. Would You please use me this evening, Lord, for the sake of Your own name, for the edification of Your saints, and for the salvation of the lost. Lord, help me to speak clearly. Lord, may we set our minds' attention and our hearts' affection upon You right now. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have done quite a bit of studying in uh, verses 12 through 17 this last month and a half. And um, two weeks ago, we paused in verse 16, considering the question that the Apostle Paul asked, who is sufficient for these things? And as we paused there, we saw last or, or two weeks ago that we are insufficient, we are incapable of raising the spiritually dead. That we are all born dead 
under the sway of the wicked one, uh, unable to respond to outward stimuli. There has to be a washing and regeneration that can only be performed by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus says in John chapter 3, unless you be born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. There must be a supernatural birth that takes place. And we saw uh, that the evangelist is incapable of initiating the new birth. That new birth is a birth from above. It comes only by the Holy Spirit of God. And we'll see this week that we cannot illuminate spiritually blinded minds. We see the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 write about his insufficiency. He says in verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so as we acknowledge our insufficiency, as we acknowledge our insufficiency to raise the spiritually dead, we acknowledge that our sufficiency is in God alone. And if, as we said some weeks ago, if we try to make and accommodate uh, our insufficiency, we will become peddlers of the Word of God. We will adulterate it. We will prostitute it. We will make merchandise of the message. We will dilute the real thing and sell it as a cheap imitation. And Paul writes in, in chapter 4 that as he knows his insufficiency, he does not lose heart. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So I would ask you to recall that God as we evangelize is our primary audience. Man is our secondary audience. And this must remain the primary truth as we continue to study the truths of Christ-centered evangelism. Because if we are making man the primary audience, we will dilute the message. We will minimize our means. We will change the focus of the message. But if God is our primary audience, we will uh, emit a fragrance of Christ that is pleasing first and foremost to Him because He's pleased with His beloved Son. And if we are corrupting the message of His beloved Son, He will not be pleased. And furthermore, sinners will not be saved because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved except Jesus Christ alone. And so apart from the proclamation, the faithful proclamation of Jesus Christ, not relying upon the arm of the flesh, but relying upon the good deposit of the Holy Spirit of God, the spiritually dead will be raised as the Spirit of God quickens the Word of God in the spiritually dead hearts of sinners. And the same is true for the spiritually blind. A sinner's mind is, is blinded. Ephesians 4.18 says, having their understanding darkened, 
being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. We discuss the obstacles that we face as we try to minister to sinners. Right? They're spiritually dead. They're ignorant. And they are in darkness. And their ignorance is a willing ignorance, we saw. That's why it's, it is so hard to overcome. One who, who is not within inside, in the Beloved, one who has not come to a saving knowledge of Christ, has suppressed the truth of God in their unrighteousness. They don't desire to come to God. They don't desire to know the truth of God. The truth of God, His, His glory, has been made evident to them within creation. And yet, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so when the Gospel comes savingly, as we said in our prayer, it comes not by the transfer of information, it comes by the miracle of illumination. God must shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in the spiritually darkened mind of sinners. It's the only way a person might be saved. It's a sad truth that sinners are spiritually blind. To, to reason with them. To bring the Scriptures to them. And to see their eyes glazed over after you might proclaim the most eloquent Gospel proclamation you've ever uttered. To see them take that truth and dispense of it. To not perceive it. To not understand it. Because they are darkened in their minds. They're spiritually blind. However, their blinded minds must comprehend and respond to the person of the Lord Jesus, the work of the Lord Jesus, and the terms of the Lord Jesus. We must be faithful to proclaim these things. We can't open their eyes, but there's a message that we proclaim in faith that the God of the universe, the God of our own salvation, will open their eyes. As we proclaim, as I said, the person of Jesus, the, the God who created all things, the One who dwells in splendor, in untouchable majesty, humbled Himself, took on flesh, was born of a virgin, born in a stable, walked among men in destitution, was persecuted by the very creatures that He made, was hung up on a cross, cursed of God, smitten, stricken, afflicted, crushed by His own Father, wearing the sins of His people, to be raised on the third day in glory and triumph over death and the grave, making a mockery of those who exalt themselves against the knowledge of Him. So that anyone and everyone who realizes that He has lived the life that they did not, died the death that they deserved, and was raised for their justification, changes their mind about their sin so that they live a different way, and places their complete and utter faith in what He's done, they might be saved. The person, the work, and the terms of the Lord Jesus. The spiritually blinded sinner must comprehend these truths. But the natural man does not receive the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. In his non-reception, we see from this verse 
is a result or a fruit of his non-perception. He does not receive the truth of God because he cannot perceive the truth of God. It says, neither can he know them. May, as we, if you study English grammar, uh, we know that may is a word of permission, right? If I, uh, if I wanted a drink of water, I would say, Pastor Austin, may I have a, a drink of water? Right? If I said, can I have a drink of water? He would probably correct me and say, I'm sure you can. May I? shows permission. Can is a word of ability. And Paul says, neither can the spiritually blinded person receive the truth of God because the truth of God is spiritually discerned. There is an inability for man to to receive, to perceive the truth of God. Now, as as we studied, that the free offer of the Gospel goes out to all. All may come to the waters and have their thirst quenched. All may call upon the name of the Lord so that they might be saved. But can they do that in and of themselves? No, they cannot. Jesus says in John 6.44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And again, in John 6.65, He says, No one can come to Me unless it has been granted him from the Father. The natural man has no ability to come to Christ. The the natural man has no desire to come to Christ. We see that in John chapter 3. The sinner, the spiritually blind, the spiritually dead, they love the darkness that they're in. They love their adultery. They love their lying. They love the carnal lust of this world. They love sitting in front of the TV for hours. They love pornography. Whatever the sin may be, they love it. They love themselves. Why would they leave the darkness they love to come to the light that they hate? They won't and they can't. They don't desire to. And so, number five in your workbook, why does... This person, the the sinner, have no ability to perceive and receive the gospel. He's living in spiritual blindness. Let's look at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 4, where we started reading. Paul writes, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The sinner is living in spiritual blindness. In fact, Paul says that they live in darkness. Actually, he takes it a step further in Ephesians 5.8. He says that sinners are darkness. He writes to believers in Ephesians 5.8, you were formerly darkness. That's not pulling a punch. They're not just in darkness, they are darkness. But for the believer, he says, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What is darkness? Darkness is the complete 
absence of light. If, if the gospel of Christ is light, if knowing Christ is eternal life, and that is to have the light of life, the sinner is darkness. The one who is separated from Christ is darkness. It's intrinsic to them. And so, they are darkness. They dwell in darkness. They cannot perceive or receive light in and of themselves. So what can a blind man see? The one who is darkness and dwells in darkness? Nothing. They cannot see. They can't see past their carnal lust. They can't see past the desires of the flesh and of the mind. They can't see that which God has made plain to them in creation. They can't see the glory of Christ. That beautiful countenance of Christ. They don't see Him as a treasure in the field. Worthy. Worthy to sell all. To purchase. They don't see Him as that, that wonderful pearl. Worthy to give up all others to attain. They don't see His his glorious, sinless life. That which we cannot do and could never attain. They don't see the man on the middle cross who invites sinners into His kingdom if they simply recognize their inability and see His sufficiency. And that He bids them come. They don't see that tomb empty on the third day with nothing but angels there saying, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here for He is risen. They don't see the one who stands at the mount in Galilee and says, Go ye therefore into all the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They don't see that one who says, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. They don't see the one who who takes the the spiritual leper and says, I am willing, be cleansed, and touches them. They don't see the one who feeds the 5,000, who who satisfies spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst, who causes uh, streams of living water to well up within the soul of a man. They don't see Him. Jesus says, truly, truly, verily, verily, Take this seriously. I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see. Not that he just won't enter. He can't even see it. His eyes won't lay hold of it. It's invisible to him. It doesn't matter if you sit in a church service on a Sunday. If your heart is dead and your your eyes are spiritually blind, no matter the performance that's put on in front of you, you're not laying hold of the kingdom of heaven, even with your eyes. It doesn't matter what kind of sermons you read. It doesn't matter the length of your prayers. It doesn't matter the amount of time you spend in the Scriptures. There are a multitude of men throughout church history who... One even started a club called the Holiness Club. Who did all these religious things and yet did not see the kingdom of God. 
When someone sees with the eyes of faith, hearts, minds, quickened by the, by the Word of God, they respond like Moses, right? Who having eyes of faith, left behind the pleasures of sin, choosing rather to bear the reproach of Christ. Why? Because you see His sufficiency. You see His sufficiency to, to make you right with God. You see in Him life and life more abundant. You see in Him the glory of God. You see in His face, Paul says, the glory of God. It's for this reason that that Paul says that he comes not in eloquent words of wisdom. What are eloquent words to a blind man? To a person who cannot perceive or receive? What are words of wisdom for ears that cannot hear? Jesus, God incarnate, the one of whom the Scriptures speak, dwelt among His people and the most educated in the Scriptures, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who had the Torah memorized, saw the one of whom all of those Scriptures found their fulfillment and they did not recognize Him because the spiritually dead cannot perceive or receive. He came to His own and His own received Him not. The light who descended from endless day shone among men and their eyes could not see Him. The spiritually blind cannot see the sun, S-O-N, just as the physically blind cannot see the glory of the created sun, the S-U-N. In all of its radiance, cannot see. And so we ask, we have to ask, is there any possibility of illumination? That those who are darkness and dwell in darkness, that they might see. What can we do? Well, Paul says in verse 5, we proclaim, we preach. He says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as slaves for the sake of Jesus. For God said, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So what can we do? We proclaim. We proclaim. Not in eloquent words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul says that our religion is not one of words, but of power. It doesn't matter if tonight I I stand in front of you and stack word on top of word. They come from me. What matters is if the Holy Spirit of God takes these words and quickens them in your heart, even if you are a believer through a supernatural illumination that the Spirit of God who promised the biblical writers 
to, Christ promised that this Spirit would guide them into all truth as they wrote. He promises that those who come to Christ, He will lead them into all truth as they read and hear the Word of God. It is a matter of supernatural illumination. If this is just a transfer of information, it's worthless. If I am to sit across the table from my loved ones and speak the Gospel of Christ to them, and it's just a transfer of information, it is nothing. But if the Holy Spirit of God takes and quickens that Word, oh, the spiritually dead are raised, flesh is put on top of dry bone, and they are, their eyes are able to lift and see the God of salvation. We proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's what we can do and must do. And yet, as Paul says, we recognize that we are not sufficient in ourselves. We do not consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who in His sufficiency made us ministers of a new covenant. Not of, uh, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Jesus says in John 15.26, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And so, if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, if our hearts have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, if His abode is now in us, What do we do? We testify of Jesus. The Spirit was sent to testify of Jesus. If He dwells in us, we testify of Jesus. As we've said repeatedly, I don't testify of heaven. I don't testify of myself. I testify of Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His substitutionary death, and His glorious resurrection. Because Jesus Christ is the only one sufficient to save a spiritually dead sinner and to give Him life. Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Him is the only thing that can cause the scales to fall off spiritually blinded eyes. We proclaim Jesus Christ not just as Savior, but as Lord. He rules over all. He created all things. All things were created by Him and for Him. And apart from Him, nothing exists that has come into existence. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is the mighty sovereign of the universe. He has received the title deed to the earth and He was the only one worthy to do so. He is the only one worthy to break the seals and to open the scrolls. Not Moses, not Elijah, not Adam, not the greatest preacher who has ever lived. No one but Christ. Who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? Worthy is the Lamb who is slain of all honor and dominion and glory forever. We testify of Jesus. For what purpose? That God, Paul says, that God may shine the light out of darkness. Pay careful attention to that phrasing. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says that we are darkness. 
He says that we proclaim that light might shine out of darkness. Who is able to shine light out of darkness? If we were to go outside right now and we turned on a flashlight, we're shining light into darkness, right? We're not capable of shining light out of darkness. God and God alone is sufficient and able to shine light out of darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, we saw that when the earth was formless and void and there was no light, what is the absence of light? Darkness. God said, let there be light. And what came into existence? Light. Light shined out of darkness. There were no celestial bodies to emit the light. There was nothing in the heavens, nothing in the earth yet. God simply said, let there be light. And that which did not previously exist, existed simply because the God of the universe said so. That which did not exist obeyed at the voice of God and light shone out of darkness. And when the Word of God is proclaimed, when Jesus Christ is proclaimed as Lord, when by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and testifies of Jesus, enables us to, to likewise testify of Jesus, and He quickens that Word in the ears and the hearts of sinners, God causes light to shine out of darkness. He says, let there be light in the dark soul of a man. This is the greatest miracle. This is a greater miracle than what we see in Genesis chapter 1. When God, working with a, we'll say a blank canvas, nothing had been brought into existence yet. And ex nihilo, He creates it out of nothing. He separates the light from the darkness. He creates the seas and the dry land and He sanctifies, separates them. He creates all of the produce of the land, the trees bearing their fruit. He creates all of the crawling creatures. He creates the seas and all that dwells in them with all of their intricacies. He creates man, His image bearers. He says it's all very good. And yet, when it comes to fallen sinners, His fallen creation, He takes something that has already been made, that which has been co become a corrupt mass of darkness. He takes that and He makes it new. He causes light to shine in that darkness. The darkness of our hearts. Think about it. When have you known, if you're converted in this room before your conversion, when was there a day when you truly desired to do that which was good? When you truly desired to take yourself off your throne and to not serve your carnal lusts and desires? When was there a day? When was there a moment? Even if, you know, the greatest works of charity, you know, the greatest submission to parents, it's all filled with carnal ambition. Something we seek for ourselves. 
When was there a day when you desired something good? When was there a day when you were not a rotten, corrupt mass of sinful darkness? Blaspheming the God who created you. Looking at His creation, looking at the sky with its, its wonderful colors. The wonderful beauty of creation proclaiming His handiwork. The glory of the Creator. And yet we reject it we, we suppress the knowledge of Him because we love our darkness. But when God takes that sinner, that sinful, corrupt mass of darkness, this selfish, adulterating lump of sin and causes light to shine out of that darkness. It is a greater miracle than Genesis chapter 1. Because the one who previously hated light now has light shining from them. That's a miracle. You cannot come to the light. God must cause light to shine out of you. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The light of His love, the light of the glory of Christ must exude from our hearts. And it's prompted and provoked only by God. And so as we proclaim, we do so knowing that we can't cause light to shine in a sinner's heart. We can't cause the one who loves themselves, loves their sin, loves their flesh, loves their selfish desires, and make them love good. We can, you can go through any 12-step program. You can go through any form of uh, behavior modification. You can put on any sort of religious veneer or disguise. And yet, you still can remain spiritually blind, spiritually dead, your desires haven't changed. Your outward appearance has. But when God says, let there be light in the heart of a sinner, they are made a new creation. The old things have passed away, yea, the new things have come. And so it's not just an act of creation, it is an act of recreation. Taking this sinful lump of, uh, of clay and molding Him and making Him into something new, something glorious, something that the God of the universe will set as a trophy of His mercy and grace for all of eternity. It's not so that we can look good. It's so that the God of the universe's own attributes might be on display in something that once was the opposite of Him. Only God can shine a light out of darkness. Think about Paul's testimony. When he was on the road to Damascus, he had just left from Stephen's uh, stoning. He looked on with approval as the first martyr was stoned to death, holding the coats, providing hospitality for those who killed him. 
thinking that he had a right understanding of the Scriptures and the Messiah who was to come. He was blind. But as this sinful, self-righteous, zealous, hateful man traveled on the Damascus Road, physical eyes that could see saw blinding light. And when he was physically blinded in that moment, as Jesus Christ cried out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. In that moment, the man who had physical sight and then lost it, went from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. As he who had all of the Scriptures memorized now saw the one in whom they had all their fulfillment. The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And Paul, Saul, who would be renamed Paul as a new creation, is radically transformed in that moment. The dead was made alive. The blind was made to see. Because the one who came to give sight to the blind and release to the captives did so for him. And when did he do it? Well, Paul says in Galatians 1.15, when it pleased him. When it pleased him. And so saints... As we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, we do so knowing that we cannot rely on ourselves. We cannot rely on any form of insufficient or sufficiency that we might believe we have. But we must rely on God and His sufficiency, knowing that He will accomplish what He will accomplish in His own timing. Those to whom we proclaim Christ as Lord, God will save when it pleases Him to reveal his son to them so that the spiritual scales might fall off their eyes and they might behold him. They might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Pastor Austin, would you pray for us?